Why don't we take a minute and pray before we jump into our subject this morning? Father, we do desire to be used by you and in greater ways. We want, O Lord, to have an impact for you in this day in which you have us. O Lord, every one of us is uh, in this day and age one that you would love to use for your glory to accomplish your purposes. And Lord, this morning we ask you to continue speaking to us through our time together. Uh, We really need your spirit to open up our eyes and to do a work in our hearts. And we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was 11 or 12 years old, our family lived in Austin Town, Ohio. It's a suburb of Youngstown, and some of you know that before or behind our house in Austin Town was a middle school. And I think it's the school I went to, although I have to be honest, I don't remember going to that school. But there was a great swing set, a beautiful big swing set at that school. And when the students were gone on the evenings or the weekends, I would go down there and I would swing on this, this swing set. And it would go, I'd go so high and I would swing higher and higher. And then I would envision myself being someone like Superman, a superhero. I just imagine what it'd be like to be able to fly. You know, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be fun? I mean, it just would be fun. But then to be able to arrive at just the right time and save the day, like you're a bad person. You know, you go after the bad people. Well. You know, that was my thinking. And, and I wanted to be that kind of person. The other person I wanted to be is, is I wanted to be Tarzan. Uh, in my neighborhood, there was a, a woods not far be, from our house as well. And, and there, there were these vines that were hanging from the trees. And we used to cut the bottoms of the vines so that you could swing from them. Although I have to admit, they kind of hurt the hands a little bit. But I envisioned this idea of swinging from vine to vine the way Tarzan did it. I don't know how he got that little network so he could go from tree to tree, but that's what I wanted to accomplish. But again, the purpose was to be something more than I was, to be someone that fixes problems, the hero, the one who comes in just in time, the one who makes the difference. I think these days, if you think about uh, people being superheroes, they'd have other people. Maybe it'd be the Black Panther, or it would be Spider-Man. That would be a similar one. Of course, your webs, you get to fly from place to place and arrive just in time and, and save the day. Now, when I was 11 or 12, in reality, I was a 78-pound weakling or less. I think I was the smallest and weakest kid in my class, except for my twin brother, as I've thought about this. My twin brother was a half inch shorter than I was. He was always just a speck punier than me. But that's what, in reality, I was. Now, I, I, I know that we know this. It kind of goes without saying. It's obvious that we don't need to be superhumans to do amazing things. And obviously, none of us are. But I am convinced that we do not see properly the difference that we could make day by day, moment by moment, as we go through this life. That our God has in mind that he wants to use his people to be his arms and his legs and his feet and his mouth in this world, wherever we go, and that he allows us to be exposed to situations where we can make an impact, where we could make a difference. Now, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've been doing this series we've titled Impact, and the series is really about having a greater impact. First week of the series, I talked about just coming together 
and uniting with other people to have the greatest impact. You know, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes that two are better than one because they get a good return or a good reward for their labor. And I'm convinced that we could do much more together than we can apart. What difference can we make together? It's, a, it's an amazing difference. Some of you went to the game yesterday. I was at the game and, and probably two-thirds through the game, everything was just the game. And then all of a sudden, the wave started. And um, it was just remarkable to watch that. I mean, the first time it goes around, it's a little anemic. And then it builds up some strength. And then the next thing you know, you look around and you say, how did you get all these people to agree to do this thing? And it's just marvelous to watch as everyone gets up from the comfort of their seat and does something together that's just remarkable. And I think God's called us to do that, to have a greater impact. Last week, I talked about identifying what it is that God has given you, especially we've talked about the gifts or abilities that God has given you, the spiritual gift, something to be used within what Paul called the body of Christ, the church. In the Bible, there are about 23 different spiritual gifts that are listed. There are a variety of different kinds. For example, there's a gift of mercy where you just have a heart for helping those that are in need. There's a gift of hospitality that's listed. It's, the word means to be a lover of strangers, and some of you are that way. You just make people feel welcome. There's a, you know, a teaching gift that could be reflected in a variety of ways. There's a gift of an evangelist, someone who is able to effectively communicate their faith. There's a gift of giving. Some of you have both the means and the love to just be meeting needs and giving. And the list goes on and on, 23 different gifts that are listed in four main sections, which I referred to last week. But as we discover what our gift is, and as we get plugged in in the right place, I think we can have a greater impact than we can if we don't know what that is. And then today, I want to talk about a mindset that really is a mindset of having an impact outside our walls. Most of what I talked about the last two weeks were about inside the walls, but as we saw this video, we want to talk about getting outside the walls, that we are Jesus' body outside, everywhere we go, his hands, his feet, his mouth. The main thing I hope we walk away here today is that we'd be open to how God might want to use us throughout the day. I'm hoping that we begin to have a mindset that we're just open as we go through our day, as we meet different people, as we have various encounters, maybe even as we're driving somewhere, to ask the question, how might God want to use me today to make a difference? It's the little differences that together suddenly could make the body of Christ something that's amazing in the world in which we live, if we would realize that God wants to use us. Now, I don't, I don't think we often have that mindset. The Apostle Paul certainly did, though. In Ephesians 5, 15 to 7, he talked about what I would call seizing the day, carpe diem, you know, this idea, grab a hold of the day in which you live and use it well. Ephesians 5, 15, he wrote, be careful then how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Be careful how you walk. The word means to live. Be careful how you live. Don't be unwise in how you go through your day. But it says making the most of the time. 
This word making most of the time or that phrase can be more literally translated buying back the time. Kind of like when you spend money to get something, he's saying you spend your time to get something of value. And the word that's used for time here, by the way, is translated in other places, opportunity. And so what I think he's really talking about here is as you go through your day, you face opportunities to make a difference. A scholar by the name of Honer puts it this way, the manner for this careful, precise walk is making the right use of every opportunity. And the reason for this careful walk is that the days are evil. So we look at the world around us and the needs around us and we realize we live in kind of an evil world and so we need to make the most of the opportunities we have. A different scholar, Dr. Fawcett, interprets it this way, in a narrower sense, special favorable seasons for good occasionally presenting themselves are referred to of which believers ought diligently to avail themselves. There are going to be these occasions to do something good that will present themselves as you go through your day to make a positive difference in your world or to make a positive difference in someone's life or a positive difference in the circumstances in which you find yourself. But the question is, are we open to those opportunities for what God might want to do in the moment? Now, again, I think most of the time we're just not thinking about it that much. I think we go through our life and we're carried along. There are things that happen to us and we find ourselves just doing whatever comes our way and we're moved along. We're not very purposeful and we're not certainly looking for the opportunities that might come our way. Today, I want to look at a story. I want to focus our attention on a story. It's actually a couple stories wrapped into one where we see an example where Jesus was alert to the opportunity and he took it. It was a situation in which, uh, as you look at the story, you'll realize he could have been overwhelmed. He could have viewed the fact that he was already busy and he could have easily overlooked an opportunity that came right then, but he did not. He stopped what he was doing and he met a need. Let's read about the story. It's found in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Where we read, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jarius came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and kept begging him, my little daughter is at death's door. Come and lay your hands on her so she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years, and let's stop. Just stop right there in the middle of the sentence. Now, you, you kind of have this scene here. Jesus just arrives by boat. It says, as soon as he arrives at the shore, there's already a crowd waiting for him. And then you got this guy that begins to beg him, come and heal my daughter. And he says, okay, and this crowd is pressing in on him, and then all of a sudden this this woman who, who has been sick for 12 years comes behind him, and as we'll see in a minute, she's going to touch him for healing. And that's, that's where we find ourselves in this story. Now, I don't know um, how you would respond to this situation. Uh, a little bit of the background of this story, before Jesus arrived on the shore here, 
He was actually in a, a, a desert or a, a region that was more a Gentile, non-Jewish area of Israel. And so he was in a, a place where there were not large crowds at that time. He was in a, I think he was in a place where, frankly, he was maybe getting refreshed. A place where he did some miracle there, but it, it wasn't a pressing time of ministry. Now, this might be important to the story because I'm convinced that part of the reason that we can't see opportunities or we don't make room for opportunities is we're frankly too busy. We have no margins in our life. We've got no room for anything else. And so something comes along, I can't help you. I think Jesus had perhaps some margin at this point. He was in this place where he wasn't being mobbed by the crowd, and then he gets in a boat and he crosses the Sea of Galilee. He arrives in Capernaum, and all of a sudden, he's just immersed with this situation that when I read it, I, get, I just get anxious reading about it. You see, three things happened the moment, moment he arrived in Capernaum, which was kind of his home base of operation, but three things happened immediately. Uh, the first thing that happened is that there was a guy waiting for him. The text says that the guy kept begging him, kept begging him, kept begging him, come, 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 please come, my daughter. He would not relent. Now, I don't know if you can relate to this situation of just arriving somewhere and somebody begin to pester you, but I can. <laughs> like when I arrive someplace, even if it's arriving at home, let me um, come in the door, let me get a cup of coffee, let me sit down. Okay, now, what is it? You know, I, I just don't like to be just the moment I arrive, just all of a sudden, there it is. But that's what he was confronted with, this guy that it says he kept begging, kept begging, heal my daughter. Of course, he's, he's so concerned. She's at death's door. I don't, I don't blame him, but I'm thinking of Jesus. He had people all the time do this, do this, do this, all these demands. And then when I read the story, I, I see that he's immediately crowded. It says, literally, the text says they were pressing against him. The writer Luke puts it a little bit differently. It says they were nearly crushing him. Now, here's this scene. He comes in, this guy, and, and because I think he was a religious leader, probably well-known in the area, synagogue over the synagogue. I think they probably paved the way for him. He's begging, 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 and then all of a sudden this crowd is almost crushing him. He's kind of being carried along by the crowd. And then all of a sudden there's this woman that doesn't intentionally, but she interrupts the story. Jesus agrees to go with the guy. Let's go. And they're on their way, and then all of a sudden you get this this in interruption, something that's keeping him from his goal. Now, again, how do you feel when somebody, you have a goal in mind, someone keeps you from the goal. It's like you're kind of, this kind of an interruption here in my schedule. But a woman comes from behind in the midst of the chaos, and she wants to be healed. But I look at this, and I just get stressed by it. Too many people, too many demands, too much coming at me all at once. I need, some, I need to get out of here. Let's get back in the boat. Let's go back to the other side. It's not Jesus' response. In verse 6, we read about the woman now. She had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all for 12 years, of course. On the contrary, she became worse. 
Having heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his robe. For she said, if I can just touch his robes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was cured of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my robes? Now, here's where we get to my, the heart, really the point I'm making, the heart of my story here, my main takeaway, the thing I hope you walk away with, be open to what God might want to do with you throughout the day. Because in the midst of this situation, this woman touches his robe, she reasoned, I'll be healed. Jesus sensed that power had gone out from him, and he stopped. Now, I'm wondering how he noticed even. In the midst of all this commotion, how did he notice even that power went out from him? And then the question is, why did he stop? He was on his way to fix this other problem. He could have let the situation go, but as was always true of Jesus, he was aware all the time of something maybe God wanted to do that wasn't on the agenda. It wasn't in the daily planner yet. He knew that he needed to stop at that moment for a particular reason, for the sake of the woman and, I would suggest, for the sake of the crowd. There was some good that needed to be done. And also, it ended up being something that was, I think, for the sake of Jairus as well. Now, again, I think when we are facing things, we have trouble with this. I think most of us, first of all, have our whole day planned. So, we view things like this as interruption, uh, we don't want to take the time many times to stop and meet a need, or I think many times, in my case, I'm not even sensitive to the need. I don't even notice. I'm distracted by this thing over here. I tend to be pretty good on one thing at a time. Give me two, I'm okay. Give me three, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to drop something. But Jesus was right on top of it. He was open to the idea of holding his schedule with open hands. He was open with the idea that maybe God has something for me in this moment. And so he stopped. Now, I, I love the response of his close friends, his disciples, to the question. He said, who touched me? That's kind of a ridiculous question. In, in, in Mark 5, 31, it says, his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and you say, who touched me? I mean, it's it's really a funny question, like, he's being crushed. Somebody touched me. It's just a, they should realize, of course, by now that if Jesus raises a question like this, um, there's a reason for doing it, you know? He was aware that he needed to stop. There was something important going on. We pick up the story in verse 32. So he was looking around to see who had done this. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came with fear and trembling, fell down before him and told the whole truth. She told her story. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. Let me mention a few things about this response here because I think it's key to the story. Number one, the text indicates that Jesus was looking around to find out who touched him. I think some people struggle with that statement because the question is, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was God. Didn't he know who touched him? 
And I don't think we realize a couple things about this. There are a couple possible answers, but one of them is that when Jesus walked the earth, he chose to walk in his humanity, not in his deity. Writer of Philippians, Paul describes it that he like cloaked his deity. He chose to walk fully as a man, which was absolutely essential for things like he needed to be tempted just like you and I are so that he could have victory over sin. It needed to be a real temptation, not a fake temptation. And so when Jesus walked the earth, he, he didn't perform miracles, I don't believe, in his own strength even. He did it through the power of the Holy Spirit as the Father revealed his will. So you have a situation where Jesus was always in tune with what his Father was telling him. And then he was using the strength of the Spirit to do the healing. He needed to be fully man. So that could be the answer. The other possible answer is he did know who it was. It's not why he was asking the question. And I think this might more likely be the case that he knew who had touched him. He needed for her to come forward, not for his sake, but for hers. He needed to communicate a message to her. He specifically said, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Another way, by the way, this can be translated. In fact, the literal translation is your faith has saved you. Your faith saved you. I think this is an important detail of the story because I've said many times before, and I hope we're starting to get it, that the way we get right with God, the way we're saved delivered from the penalty of our sin is through faith and faith in Jesus. Both are important components to this. Faith is the key. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has, in this case, I think, delivered her from her sickness. It may, may or may not be spiritual, although there's a spiritual component we'll see in a minute. But faith is the key. That's how we get right with God. And I think we live in a culture where people cannot get it past their thinking that it's not about us. They, people think you earn your way. You get right with God by being good. There's no one who's good. None of us are good enough to merit eternal life. Heaven's a perfect place. We're not perfect people. We're disqualified. That's why Jesus was sent in this world, to die in our place for our sin. And when we put our trust in Jesus, we receive eternal life. But the means by which we are made whole is faith. But the object of the faith is the key too. It's important that the faith be placed in the right thing. If your faith is in the wrong thing, it won't help you. And so Jesus wanted, I think, to identify himself as the object of her faith as well. And in that moment, he says, you're healed. In that moment, he says, you've been saved through your faith. That's the key. And I think you want everyone to hear that. But I do think there was a spiritual component in her situation because for 12 years, she'd been paying money to experts, doctors, to try to, to experience a healing, which was the right thing to do, I think. But she had experienced no healing. In fact, the text says she was getting worse. This was a big problem. It wasn't just that it was a physical problem. It was a spiritual problem for her because in the Old Testament, you read that if somebody has a flow of blood, a woman has this continuous flow of blood, she is considered unclean. 
Everything she sat on during 12 years, if she sat on something, it was deemed as unclean. She couldn't participate in what was happening in the temple. She wasn't even supposed to touch anyone because if she touched anyone, in the book of Leviticus, it says that person was unclean. And suddenly you realize why she was sneaking behind him in the first place. She just thought, never mind if I touch the robes, then I'll sneak away. She didn't want anyone to even know. She had touched Jesus. And this is why I think this encounter was so essential because Jesus wanted to communicate life-giving words to her. You are set free. In that moment, physically, but spiritually as well, she was... She was released from the the pain and the shame of what she had endured for 12 years. A scholar by the name of Dr. Brooks puts it this way. It was not only debilitating, but rendered the woman religiously unclean so that no pious Jew would have any contact with her. So she had lived as an outcast for 12 years. And Jesus says, go in peace and be free. Go in peace. I am sure they're the best, most encouraging words she'd ever heard in her life. Set free from this physical thing, from this spiritual thing. I think that's, again, what Jesus wants to do with us. Our story's not done yet, though. You remember he was on his way to the house of Jarius. We pick up the story in verse 35. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? So messengers come from the house. But when Jesus overheard, we read what was said. He told the synagogue leader, do not be afraid, only believe. Only have faith. Your faith has healed you. I suspect that when they stopped to have this encounter with this woman, Jarius thought in his mind, don't stop. My daughter's about to die can't stop and heal everybody along the way, you know. I, I think that's probably what he was thinking. I think, by the way, they were real close to the house. They were almost there. If Jesus had just reached the house, if this woman had not ruined everything by stopping the train, you know, she ruined it. She's dead. Don't bother the teacher. And Jesus just overhears it and says, don't, don't, don't be afraid. Have faith. Just have faith. You see, I, I suspect that this miracle was essential to the guy's faith. I think Jesus knew that. I don't think it's a coincidence that this woman had a condition for 12 years which happened to be the exact age of her, his daughter. 12-year-old. He had just seen a woman healed of something for 12 years and the key was faith. And then Jesus says, you have faith. You know, faith, belief. And they go into the house. Crowds there, they're wailing. Jesus kicks them all out. Almost unceremonially, if you read it. In fact, they get mad at him. Because he dares to say she's actually asleep, not dead. I mean, it's, it's like it's not the permanence of death here. And they laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus, one of the few occasions. And then he went up to the room with the parents and with his close friends, the disciples, and he said to her, rise up. And she was healed in that moment. It was a beautiful miracle. So let me bring this all together. I just think that 
we go through our lives and we've got busyness and we're confronted by lots of things. But I, I think God has us as his children in places to make a difference. Everywhere we go, if we we're, if we're, have the sight to see it, you know. To have your eyes opened is what God might want to do through you throughout the day. To see, see what he wants to do. And the question is, are we open to that? Will we be sensitive to that? I, I would suggest even waking every day with this prayer on your mind as a very practical takeaway. Lord, I'm yours today. What is it you have for me today? I'm going to be in the midst of lots of things. I'm going to be busy. Things are going to all be coming my way. But I need to know. I need to hear from you. Do you want to use me in this situation? And we might be surprised. And again, I remind us that together we're the light of the world, the church, where Jesus' arms and feet were his mouth. How Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before people so they would see your good deeds and then glorify your Father in heaven. This miracle was really ultimately, of course, about glorifying God the Father. But as we go through our days, we make a difference in people's lives and then people wonder why. And we point to our faith in Jesus and we point to people to faith in our God. I did this because I'm, I'm a Christian. Because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and he's made the difference in my life and we point him to our Father through whom we can experience forgiveness of sin. <clears throat> and finally, I want to mention that this is why I think we make it, try to join with other groups or partner with other groups like Chestnut Mountain Ranch. If you go on your website, you'll see that there are different groups that we want to partner with to make a difference. Compassion International is one. Operation Christmas Child. We do an annual coat drive. We, we help out with Christian help. We help out with Libera, which helps with women to experience freedom. Trinity School, Daughter of the King Ministries, and others. We're, we're just trying to partner together collectively with some of these groups and others. We're trying to make a difference. I think, though, it's going to require perhaps some of us to say, I've been too busy to notice, and maybe some of you need to get more margins in your life. Others of you just need to say, Lord, help me to see. And then have the willingness that when something comes your way to say, I had a plan to do this, but I think God has this for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of your son Jesus, who as he went through life was just Moment by moment, just listening to your voice and asking the question, what is it in this moment? We tell you, Lord, we want to be used by you in greater and greater ways. We want to have an impact. So help us, O Lord, to apply these things we've talked about in our lives and to be encouraged by the example of your son, Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.